0: Hi, Chris Vallotton here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvallotton.com. Now, Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing all over the world. Thank you for writing a passage. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help the speaker today and uh, help the congregation in Jesus name. Amen. I, um, I had an experience to, uh, yesterday, Friday actually. I had an experience. We do I do this thing called cultural catalysts and what I do is interview leaders who are affecting culture. And we actually do all the interviews on one day. We do four interviews in one day and then we release them once a week. So we were doing that last Friday and the very first uh, person I was interviewing was a is a guy named Jamie uh, Winship. And I have, the my team was like, well, you've met him in DC. I actually didn't remember until we sat down in front of one another in the interview. Actually, he was on, he was on a Zoom interview. And I was uh, talking to him and, and Jamie uh, has written a book called Living Fearless. And he has a, a ministry called The Identity Method. But really interesting guy. And he started talking about, so, you know, I was saying... So tell us a little, bit, a little bit about you and about your ministry, about your business. And he started sharing this story that for two decades, he was a police officer. And he, was, he said, I was doing a lot more uh, serving and protecting than being a peace officer. Wow. And he said, I started to just really grieve at what I was doing for a job. I actually want to serve people, but I don't want to just stop people from hurting one another. I want, actually want to solve the root issues of culture. So he started asking the Holy Spirit, this is I guess a couple years into his job, he started asking Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit will you show me how to actually cure the root issues why there's violence and crime and all these different things. And so he started having these encounters with the Lord while he was policing, like on the job. And so he would meet these people and that would be in a crisis, maybe they'd be you know, a a domestic violence issue or whatever. And he'd ask Holy Spirit, like, what's the real root cause here? And then he began to pray into or try to, you know, put that, the solution into that root cause. And anyway, he won several awards. Him and his partner won several awards for actually stopping the root issues of crime. And uh, he started working with gangs and all this, this crazy story. And, And I wish I could tell it well, but you can get it on Cultural Catalyst. I think it's going to be released in a couple of weeks. Um, and as he's talking, he, he said "When he, what happened was is that he was about to retire or quit the police department. I forget how that went. But um, someone from the CIA heard about all the awards this guy has won. And so he started looking into Jamie's file to see how he was solving these crimes because he had solved so many crimes and won so many awards. And so he said, and so anyway, this, this head of the CIA actually met with him and said, hey, I, I'd like to know how you're solving these crimes because we're really interested in you coming to work for us. And the guy said, I've been looking through your file for a few months and I've been studying your cases. And he said, well, just, he said, well, you're, you're probably not going to like the answer I have. And the guy said, you know, basically, I'll like any answer you have that works. He said, okay, we'll pick one of those case files, and I'll tell you how i figured it out. So the guy pulls one of his case files and reads the file, the story, and he goes, well, the way I solved that one is, I asked the Holy Spirit what the problem was. The guy's like... And I learned that this was an identity crisis, and that's why this violent act was happening. You have to hear the story. He did a lot better job. He's talking about the actual root problem was this identity crisis, and when he solved that, that actual gang thing just dissolved. So anyway, so the guy, the guy, anyway, the, the, the CIA ends up hiring him to help with terrorism, and he actually gets in. He gets in the terrorist groups, and he teaches them about their identity, and they get they leave the terrorist group. It's a true story. So he worked for them for a long time, and then he decided to leave and start his own business ministry. It's actually a, a for-profit business, and he works with schools. And he works with lots of public things, but he, one thing he does is he works for schools, and he, you know, to uh, around bullying and violence and all of that. And we, had, you know, just had this uh, nineteen children shot, so we were interacting with that before the, we actually went online. And I was like, well, you know, what, how would you handle this? And he was telling me some stories. So I, said, so I said, when we get on the show, can you tell that story again? And he, was just, he just did a seminar a year ago in this uh, public school that went from uh, K to eighth grade. And it, there was lots of violence in the school. And so they had him in and he did a seminar, which is about two hours long, he said, public seminar with the teachers and the school. And was like 368 people involved. And the principal got so rocked by his presentation that he took him aside after the presentation he said hey we have this young this seventh seventh grader in our school and this seventh grader has already been marked as a shooter we know that he will eventually shoot kids he is he's violent he's his his father's in prison his mother died when he, i think he was 8 and he is uh he, we there's we can't do anything with him we spend him constantly and we don't know what to do with him. And we know that he will eventually come back and probably shoot kids because of some of the things he said. Would you meet with him? Said, sure, I'd love to meet with him. So he sits with this young kid who the principal says, I have him in my office and he never talks. He sits there and just doesn't talk. And he's being raised by his grandfather. And his grandfather says, I can't get him to talk. He just lives in his room. So he sits down with him and he starts you know, talking to this kid this this young man, and again, the kid doesn't talk. And finally he said to the kid, who are you? Who are you? Like, what is your identity? And the kid goes, invisible. Invisible. My identity is, I'm invisible. So he said, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to tell me what love says you are. Right? It's a secular school. What does love say you are? The kid closes his eyes and in 2 seconds says love says i'm a musical genius wow. <laughs> love says i'm a musical genius well the short story is is that jamie gets buys him a guitar goes to see his grandfather who he learns all what i just said hey i don't know the kid lives in his room won't talk we have no relationship He said, well, Love told him he's a musical genius. His grandfather was shocked. He said, I've never seen him do anything with music. But the grandfather said, you bought him a guitar, I'll get him guitar lessons. They buy him a guitar, they get him guitar lessons, and this is now a year later. He's in eighth grade right now. He's won several achievement awards. He's written several songs. He's on the principal's best behavior list. Because Love said... You're a musical genius. You're not invisible. You're a musical genius. (laughs) Is that a good word? And I I, I want to talk about the identity crisis in culture. That I believe that we are in a massive identity crisis in culture that's rooted in fatherlessness. Now, let me be clear before I start I've shared most of this message or part of this message before. I believe in motherhood. Help me. I wrote a book on empowering women called Destined to Win. Okay? So I'd like to to suggest that no one can preach a balanced one message. Okay? If you look at my life, it's very balanced. But if you're going to think that this message is not going to be balanced... Don't send me nasty emails. Send them to Dan. That's DanFairly at... I want to talk about the crisis of identity in our culture. And I want to give you some statistics that I've given you before, but talk through some solutions as we move towards the end of the message. I just finished a book called Uprising. And it's about the most fatherless generation in the history of the world. It will be out in a couple more months. So these statistics are coming from my team doing statistical studies in almost always American culture. I've quoted some of these before, but I want to add a couple more. In 1950, less than 5% of all children were born out of wedlock in America. It's about 4.2%. In 1950, 4.2% of all Americans were born out of wedlock. But by... 2017, that had bloomed 1,700%. Until in, in 2017, 51% of all Americans were born out of wedlock. What happens when you take fathers out of a home? I want to talk a little bit about that. And remember, I believe very much in motherhood. There's a story that I found a few years ago called The Elephant Story about Kruger National Park in South Africa. In which they proactively helped to breed the African elephant who was becoming extinct. And they did such a great job breeding this African elephant that the elephant began to take over Kruger Park. They're like, what are we going to do with all these elephants? You know, kind of hard to ship them somewhere. And so they decided that they would actually transport them to a uh, a park near them in another South African park that had no African elephants. And so they used these great big helicopters. Have you seen them? They, they lift logs with them and transport logs. They used a, a helicopter like that and they built uh, harnesses for the elephants and they transferred many of the African elephants to this other South African park. And uh, all seemed to be well, except for within a few months, the white endangered hippopotamus, the white in, in hippopotamus was also endangered, which was, they were trying to breed in this other park, suddenly were start, they started dying. And it became really, really serious. They were dying everywhere. And they couldn't figure out what was killing them. First, they thought they were poachers because they would, uh, poachers would poach for their, their horn. But the horns were, were intact. And so they put up cameras around the park, especially where the herds, the, where, where the white uh, um, rhinoceros herds hung out and what they found was that the young elephants the young el- uh, new elephants that they had imported into the new park the young elephants were actually gourding the white hippopotamuses and killing them now the part of the story I didn't tell you is that when they were transporting the elephants to the new park, when they tried to transport the bull elephants, the male, mature bull elephants, to the other park, the harnesses were breaking. They said, well, that's all right. We have enough male elephants, young male elephants. They'll grow to be older bulls. And so they didn't, in, the mature bull elephants didn't get transported. So they began to study this, this new dynamic. And, they, and they, what they realized is like, The hippopotamus and elephant have lived together for hundreds of years. They are not natural enemies. They had never actually seen elephants killing rhinoceroses. So they said, well, what are we going to do about this? Like, what is the difference between every other environment and this environment? Did I say it right? you got to stay with rhinos. Forget hippos. Stay with rhinos. Did I say hippos? Yes. (laughs) Arbitrists. it's rhinoceroses white rhinoceroses is what it is and it's it's not barbiturates either so they ask themselves what is the difference and the only thing they can think of is that the white I'm sorry the white not the white the elephants, the African elephant, mature bull African elephant, did not get imported into the new park. So they made new harnesses and flew several, and introduced several new male. You got me now. Elephants into the new park, and what happened immediately is that the killing stopped. I'll read you this a portion of their report. To test the theory, the rangers constructed larger, stronger harnesses and then flew some of the older bull elephants left at Kruger. Within weeks, the bizarre, violent behavior of the juvenile elephants stopped completely. The older elephants let, let them know that their behavior was not elephant-like at all. In a short time, the younger elephants were following the older elephants, the, the older, more dominant bulls around while learning how to be elephants. It's a crazy story, and my question, and our question is this, what happens when you remove fathers from culture? Now, I have some more statistics I want to read you, and these are statistics are from 2012 to 2017. When I wrote the book, Uprising, I had my team go, in fact, the publisher said, hey, all these statistics are like 10 years old, can you get newer statistics? said, yeah, so I have my, my team. I said, can you guys go out and do some research and get newer statistics on all of these things? Well, guess what? There are no new statistics. Do you know why? Because the LGBTQ has one of their agenda items is the deconstruction of the family. And they are proposing that men and women are the same, and therefore you can have two mommies and two daddies. So certainly you don't want government keeping track of the fatherless issues letting people know that when you take fathers out of the home it's not the same as taking a mother out of the home because there's different side effects of each and I'd like to propose to you that moms and dads men and women are not the same right. <laughs> <That's right. 'Kay. laughs> they are equally powerful but they are distinctly different let me say that one more time they are equally powerful, but they are distinctly different. When God was in Genesis 1, when God was looking for a helper suitable for Adam, he said, I will create a helper suitable for Adam. First of all, the word helper does not mean slave or servant. It's actually used 13, 16 times in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word, three times for woman and 13 times for God. So if you think that your wife is a is a helper, just remember, so is God. And, and wait, wait, no clapping yet. I'm on a roll. I haven't made a mistake in at least eight minutes. And the word suitable, I will make a helper suitable for Adam. The word suitable means opposite of or corresponding to. I'm pointing out that men and women are equally powerful, but they are distinctly different. And let me tell you, when your when your wife says you need to get in touch with your feminine side, I'd like to point out you don't have one. Men? You don't have a feminine side. Remember when Adam when when God took (gasps) and and, I am trying. Still trying to figure out if it's a rhinoceros or the hippopotamus. When God took when God put Adam to sleep and took the rib out of his side and made a woman and Adam woke up he said this is my flesh of my flesh bone of my bone listen to this she shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man where was the woman in the beginning in the man but how you know when God put Adam to sleep he took the woman out of the man Adam <laughs> wakes up and he goes whoa man So old, very old joke, very old. The fact that you laugh at it means you're either humoring me or you've never heard it before. But when Adam wakes up, he sees what he sees in front of him that what once was in him. Now, this is the truth. He sees in front of him that was once within him, and he begins to prophesy to it. He says, "You' bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman, for you will take it out of the man." For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and the two shall become one. Why? Because the one became two. How many know God never counts a woman in a crowd again? There was 5,000 men, there was 3,000 men, there was 2,000 men. Does God not value women? No, God says the two are one. In the Greek, there there is no word for woman or man. There's one word for woman, and there's one word for woman and husband, and one word for wife and woman. Did I say it right? In my mind, I did. The word, Greek word for man is also the Greek word for husband. The Greek word for woman is also the Greek word for wife, because the Greeks figured you should be—if you're a woman, you're a wife. So, and all the single people said, oh, I hate this sermon. <laughs> Just pointing it out. I said all that to say that we are not keeping statistics on fatherlessness anymore because we are trying, we are trying to deconstruct the family and make it normal to have two mommies or two daddies because according to culture, they're interchangeable. And I would say... I'd like to say, technically, that's (laughs) bullcrap. Technically speaking. Okay, let's move on. Let me give you a few more statistics. These are 7 to 10 years old because of the issues I've talked to you about. 90% of all American inmates are men, not women. 75% of all inmates grew up without a father. 63% 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's 63, no, that's, I'm sorry, that's five times the national average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders, you're talking about shootings and all this kind of crazy stuff, come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the national average. That's, that's, that's coming from the Center of di- Disease Control. 80% of all rapists come from fatherless homes, 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the average. Go try to find any of those statistics now. If you can, I'd love for you to send them to me because we couldn't find them anywhere. They don't keep those statistics anymore. They don't want you to know what's really happening. Fatherlessness is driving violence through lost divinity and disconnection. How many you know when Cain lost connection with God, he murdered Abel? Disconnection with fathers, disconnection with the heavenly Father, creates a new identity. Let me give you six side effects of fatherlessness. Number one: when men, men, men are being feminized because mothers, because mothers, without fathers, are raising them. Now let me say this. I, I feel compelled to say this over and over, so I'm not misunderstood. You need a mom and a dad. And both are absolutely necessary. Are you with me? You need a mom and a dad. But listen, we don't we don't have a motherless culture right now. We have a fatherless culture. We're actually the most fatherless culture in the history of the world, in which our fathers are alive but not present. Statistically, we are the most fatherless generation in the history of the world, when our, in in the history of the world in which our fathers are alive but not present, not home. We have been more fatherless, for example, in history, right after the Civil War, six hundred eighty-seven. 1,000 mostly men died. And our population of America was about 50 million. So there was more fatherlessness right after the Civil War than there is now. But our fathers were dead. This is the first time in history when our fathers are alive, but they're not home. Are you with me? So what? what is the side effects of fatherlessness? Men are being feminized because mothers without fathers are raising them. The gender confusion of a man being raised only by a woman is helping to perpetuate homosexuality and transgenderism. Men are being trained out of their ability to provide, promote, and protect. As a matter of fact, some of the the distinctions that are, are being made is that masculinity is actually a dysfunction. Isn't it funny that transgenderism is normal, but masculinity is a dysfunction? Abortion is a major side effect of fatherlessness because women are being impregnated by men, but not fathers. And I'd propose that What's perpetuating abortion and the sin of abortion is not motherhood, it's fatherlessness. You can help me because I'm nervous. You can imagine. I refuse to be silent. The absence of fatherhood is creating behavioral tolerance and lack of discipline. Finish this sentence for me. Wait till your, your father gets home. I've done that in five countries and spontaneously everybody knows that mom says, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> well, is your father going to kill you? What's your father going to do? I'm pointing out that we know instinctively that fathers lead discipline. Do mothers discipline? Of course they do. And in fact, in fatherless homes, mothers take on the role of of the disciplinarian, but that was almost as bad as... (laughs) We won't try it again because it could get worse. (laughs) My mouth is dry. But my point is, is that fathers lead in the area of discipline. They're not the only ones who discipline, but they lead that. What happens when you take fathers out of the home? Well, I'm going to tell you that when fathers leave the home, men do not Boys do not know what to do with their aggression. And their aggression that's supposed to be pointed to provide, promote, and protect turns to violence. I can prove to you it does. I'm proving to you statistically that it does. That our prisons are full of men who've done violent acts. It's not that masculinity is bad. It's what happens when you don't have the bull elephants at home teaching the young man, it's a metaphor, what to do with this aggression. Aggression is good when it's under the... Guys, of the discipline of the Lord and of fatherhood. But when you take aggression and you let it fly, how many understand you end up with unspeakable culture, which we have kids shooting kids now. I mean, what do you... I'm I'm, going to take us the wrong way if I'm not careful. But when kids, when an 18-year-old shoots little kids, I understand it's all dysfunctional. But when you're shooting little kids, what have those kids done to you? Talking about we're at the pinnacle and the, and the, the answer isn't just gun control. Or Listen, I don't make anybody mad. I have a wife who shoots guns. <laughs> she hunts. She's a bad woman. She fishes. She has the bass boat. She rides horses. Someone breaks into our house, I wake her, I'm like, hi, baby. (laughs) I'll call the police, go check that out, see what's going on down there. I don't have a strong opinion about the gun control thing. And listen, I'm not saying there should be or shouldn't be. I'm saying I really don't. But I'm telling you that stopping kids killing kids by just taking away weapons is not the answer. And if you think it is, you don't know what you're talking about. Stopping abortion by just making it illegal is not the answer. Listen, I personally—this I know—I'll take hits for this. I personally want abortion to be illegal, but I am aware that that is not the answer. Yes. When I have to make a law to keep m- moms from killing their own children, I'd say there's something else wrong. Yes. If the only reason I don't kill Kathy is because it's illegal, I'd say our marriage needs help. No, can we stop being stupid and actually look at there's, Hey, because someone needs to say, I don't think it's just that they don't have a weapon. Our society is sick and we are creating the destruction and the deconstruction of the family on purpose in the school system and everywhere else. And what we do is stand up in hopes we can vote for the right person. I'm like, we, the church, Jesus Christ is the answer. Number three, the side effects of fatherlessness. Men lack confidence in their ability to lead and provide for a family because it's never been modeled for them. Therefore, they delay or reject marriage relationships. I'd like to point out that the government's idea of fixing this is to fund fatherless families. And I don't know how you don't fund them because that's a very complicated issue. But that's not the answer. Giving people money so you can have more children who don't have a dad is not the answer. And by the way, why do you think socialism's growing? Well, if you've been raised by Uncle Sam, you sort of think he's supposed to take care of you the rest of your life. Number four, men invite boys into manhood through the rite of passage. And we are not going to describe what that is. (laughs) The rite of passage is the process in which men acknowledge that a boy has become a man. Without the rite of passage, boys struggle growing up as they grow old. Now, women have a naturally built-in kind of rite of passage in that they, when they start their menstrual cycle, women come in and notice, or if you will, or help the girl who's now acknowledged as a woman. She has the menstrual cycle. She can, she can actually give birth to a baby, although she may be 12, 13, 14 years older, younger than that. My point is, is that she's acknowledged as a woman because her menstrual cycle has, has a built-in, if you will, rite of passage. But men don't have that. Many cultures have a rite of passage built into them. Jewish culture does. (laughs) We're good. We're moving on. Number five. Fatherless men relate to women as mothers and sisters, but not as wives and lovers, because they've never observed how a husband relates to a wife. Consequently, they don't pursue lovers, they pursue mothers. Someone who will care for them, not a person who can provide, protect, and promote. If I've never seen my father love my mother, I don't know how to interact in a romantic way, but the only thing I have is my mom taking care of me, or my sister. I relate to every woman as a sister or a mom because I've never seen them be lovers. Wow. So I have no training on how to have a lover because all I've had is a mother. Number six, in fatherless cultures, in fatherless societies, authenticity is redefined as being true to your feelings instead of being true to your purpose. I am what I feel. How do you know you're a boy when you're actually a girl? I feel I am. And feelings now are more important than facts. I'd like to share a few things that fathers teach sons. Number one, how to conquer their fears and not negotiate with their enemies. Not how to conquer the thing you're afraid of, how to conquer your fears. I don't shoot up schools because I'm afraid of kids or because I'm angry with them. I learn how to conquer my fears. Number two, provide for their family how to, what do fathers teach their sons? How to provide for a family. This role gives men purpose, meaning, and identity. I don't mean that women can't provide for their family. This is not going to be a balanced message. Right. When <laughs> the sheet came down in a vision, in a trance, in Acts chapter 10 to Peter, you remember this? And he saw unclean animals. And what did he heal? hear? Heal. <laughs> what did he hear? He did not hear eat. He heard kill and eat. <laughs> anyway, Killing is a part of the ecosystem of manhood because they are tasked with providing substance for their families. But in a feminized world, I like this is kind of funny. In a feminized world, provision is trumped by compassion, and vegetarianism is the outcome. (laughs) It's a little joke. Just supposed to be a little just get you a little funny. Number three, what do fathers teach sons? Fathers teach men to compete for the prize. Fight for the promises and build for the future. This is how men learned how to fight for and aggressively pursue the woman of their dreams. Have you ever read Song of Solomon? Song of Solomon has basically three characters. The wife, the husband, and a choir. I've always thought in my marriage is missing a choir. (laughs) Because I think that my marriage would be so much more romantic if at certain seasons people... There was singers singing, I know you're up there somewhere, somewhere. Or, ain't no mountain high enough. You know, I just... We've been, we've been missing that in our marriage. We've been trying to introduce it through Alexa. There's a little truth there. We won't tell the family story, though. In Song of Solomon... The wife speaks, and then the husband speaks, and then the choir sings. Let me read you one short passage of the wife speaking about her husband. She says, listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle, like a young stag. Behold, he's standing behind the wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. She describes her husband as a pursuer. He d- He he runs over the mountains. He jumps over freaking walls. (laughs) He's looking through the lattice. He's, He's the pursuer. She was born to be adored and pursued, and he was born to be the pursuer. Are you with me? A woman playing hard to get should inspire the masculine need to win, to compete for the prize, to climb the castle wall. But in a feminized world, a woman has to put a ladder down against the castle wall followed by a safety rope and then wait at the bottom to show him the way up. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many men over the last 24 years in our school ministry come to a school that has 60% women. Beautiful women from all over the world. I mean, just <laughs> Pick one. This is like fishing at the hatchery. (laughs) And women come up perpetually and they ask, is it all right for me to pursue a man? I'm like, yeah, Jesus said, be fishers of men. (laughs) Fathers help others discover their identity. Listen again, I know mothers do too, but fathers lead the way They lead the charge in helping to discover your identity. When children are really little, and we got a bunch of them now, I got grandkids everywhere, they're like ants. (laughs) What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And they get a little older, and you're like, oh, finally. And they're like, why? (laughs) Why? Why is there air? Why? Why? But when they hit puberty, they ask, who am I? And listen, we're in a a society that thinks that you learn who you are through education, and so we send you off to university, college, someplace. Like, certainly if you learn enough, you will know who you are. And we have people with several degrees. By the way, nothing wrong with degrees. It's just that when you're looking for identity through education instead of through family, you end up getting degrees in which you don't even want to work. You end up $150,000, $200,000 college debt and you still are like, I don't know who I am. Who's going to tell me? Your daddy was supposed to help you figure out who you are. If you raise up a child in the way... They should go. Not if you raise them up to be Christians, the way they should go. How many understand that your daddy is responsible, so is your mama, but your daddy is primary responsible to say, I see who you are, and let's create a whole culture to get you there. Come on. yeah. Come on. One more. Fathers leave a legacy. And promote the well-being of their tribe. How I many know it's not all about you? We got a we got we got a whole generation. And by the way, I, I, this is yeah. I, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. We got so many people running around thinking life is about them. It's all about me. It's, it, it ends. It starts and ends with me. And we well, now we live in isolation. I work online. I go to church online. God bless you. You're on church right now. We God bless you. Thank you. I mean, I don't have to leave the house. I have a virtual family. I have a virtual pastor. I have a virtual life. I, I, and the goals of my life are how many followers I can get on TikTok or Tech talk or Tech Todd or TED Talk. How many people I can get on Facebook. And I think I'm having a life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to confront them. I'm going to tell you right now. And here's my significant moment. I told them what I think. And all of that aggression is bottled up because I have no relationships with anybody. And I call, look at all the followers I got. You got no followers? That is a, that, that is a virtual reality lie. That is not real life. I love movies, by the way. We just went to see Top Gun. It was good. But some people live in a a virtual excitement because they have no real life. And it's time. I have one minute to give you the solution. (laughs) Think about that for a good timing and a message. Psalm 68.5 A father to the fatherless and a judge of widows is God who's in his holy habitation. I believe that we're in a Malachi four, five, six 6 moment. Malachi spoke of a time. He said, this, he said, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet and he's going to, before the great and coming great and terrible day of the Lord, he's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters, hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. Listen, I believe that this, the stage is set for the moments, for the Elijah or Moses or Joshua, whichever one you like, Gideon. I believe that the stage is set for move of God. I believe that I just described to you the backdrop in which the spirit of Elijah is now coming onto the church. Isn't it funny that it's a prophetic movement that is restoring fatherhood? It is the prophets that actually carry the spirit of reconciliation, not the spirit of judgment in this new covenant culture that we live in it is time for us to rise up and say two things. That's enough. With love, as much love and patience as we can muster in Jesus Christ, but with much truth as we can find in the scripture and say, that's enough. That stops here. And secondly, here's a solution. You need love, you need fathers. I love that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days. It's one of the funniest passages in the entire Bible. Mary gave birth to the Son of God, then couldn't find him for three days. <laughs> I think it's a funny story, but here's what I get out of that story. It takes a village. That Jesus wasn't just raised by Joseph and Mary. He was raised by a village. It was common for, for Jesus to be gone for a couple of days with other relatives, with other friends, because it takes a village. I'd like to propose that we need to leave the global the global Orphanage, and we need to become the village of mothers and fathers. Would you stand, please? Can you put your hand on your heart? Just pray this prayer, Lord. Help me to be that village a part of that village. Help me to be part of the solution for all the mothers and fathers who are absent from society, and for all the sons and daughters who are looking to be loved and they feel invisible and yet they're musical geniuses. Lord, let me be the vehicle that introduces them to the heavenly father and gives them a reason to live in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvellton.com. Have an awesome day.